Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Good. You're doing okay, huh? It surprises me given Andrew Sullivan announced that blogging is dead this week. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he, he didn't announce why he was dead. He announced he was leaving his blog, which uh, provoked all kinds of uh, people to say that blogging is Andrew dead. Sullivan said blogging is dead, Ben. Come on. Get with the meme. Um, no, it, it actually, um, well, I mean, as long as we're going to jump right into it. Uh, obviously, I wrote a piece this week saying that blogging is not dead. Uh, and, um, and you know, in which I, I, I posited a lot of things that I've posited a bit over time. Um, you know, I, for people who come for the strategic analysis, I apologize. This is my one thing that I will continue to get on my soapbox about because I think, I think it's important. Um, and a lot of the themes I talked about the fact that, uh, there is a real authenticity that comes to from, from the kind of the one, one person blog. And, and it was actually Echoed by by Solvin himself. He, I mean, he also linked to the Ezra Klein piece that I linked to, which mm. which quite frankly really irritated me. Um, I I was really mad when I read it. I continue to be mad when I wrote uh, the blogging's bright future. Originally, I was pretty harsh on it, and then I went back and edited it and made it a little less harsh. Um, why why did it make you mad? Well, well, uh, the reason it made me mad is because. Um, well, maybe we should start there. Maybe we'll start start with Ezra Klein's piece. Um, so Ezra Klein uh, is someone who I very much, uh, for a long time, I, I kind of what's what's the phrase? Uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. If this was the opposite, like there, but for the for the lack of hustle, go I. Um, in that he, we're about the same age. He's a couple years younger than us, uh, and you know, when I when I when I was at the you know back in the day, I was. I wrote a lot as a writer for the paper, um, you know, very active, uh, did a lot of really cool things there. We felt like we, we reinstituted the daily editorial. We had goals. We, we got stuff accomplished. And it was really one of the favorite times, you know, favorite times of my life. Um, the problem, of course, is that I disowned most of the stuff that I wrote at the time because that's when I was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've talked about changing my politics. Um, but, uh, and after that, I started a blog. And this was back, you know, when, when there was a very new thing and um, like, you know, let's carry this momentum. Let's actually do something. And then like, like it happens, you know, st- stuff intervened. I had a girlfriend, I had a you know, job um, and, mm. and it, it petered out like most blogs peter out. And I would start a blog again every now and then through the years. But, it, but meanwhile, people like uh, Ezra Klein and Matthew Glacius, another kind of contemporary were, were blogging up a storm and they were writing about politics, the area that I was interested at the time um, and making real names for themselves. And they made it through, through blogging. Like they didn't come up the traditional route. You know, mm. they, they, and to me, this was very inspiring. And it was like, um, man, that that's awesome. I wish, I kind of wish I had, I had gone, I had, I had pursued that. I had pursued that harder. And anyhow, so Obviously, today, Quine has been very successful. Uh, he jumped around from place to place You know that sponsored him him blogging, basically. At the Washington Post, he built up a, a whole team. Uh, it was Wonk Blog, but it was like it, it was a whole team of, of folks. And then, uh, and then he left that to start Vox.com. Um, and the idea uh, of Vox, you know, is, is going to explain the news, um, which, which I, think, I think is a real thing. It sounds, it sounds very cliche, but I think there is something to it, actually. Um, uh, not to, not to, I mean, ideas are a dime a dozen, but back in the day, 
um, when I was at Northwestern, we do, we did for graduate school, we, um, I actually have a dual degree, both MBA and also from the design school. And, uh, one of the projects we did was do the, like the modern newspaper is like the one I pursued. And, and the idea that, that our team came up with was in very broad strokes, very similar to Vox. The idea that oh. like, it's really hard if you're new to a story to get caught up, like, like, yeah. like almost the best way to get caught up is go to Wikipedia believe it or not, mm. because they're, 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 you know, constantly updating and they're incorporating new sources. And so like at the time, I think the big story was the, the oil spill in the Gulf. And it's like, okay, if you haven't been paying attention and now you just jump in, you go to the New York times and all the stories kind of mm. presume a lot of knowledge that you might not have. Um, you know, and, and so I think our concept was called stale news, uh, S T A L E. Mm. And obviously that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't be a great real name. But uh, but the idea was you should be able to dive into a new topic and that you should be able to get up to speed. And how can you design a product that that people will view as kind of an authoritative place to learn about the news and yet be accessible both for people who are reading on an ongoing basis and people who are just dipping in? Um, Sounds like a cool idea. No, that's what Vox is. And, and I think mm. and I think I think it's a good idea. And uh, it makes sense for Ezra Klein, and you know he's always been the sort to want to explain things, and he cares about a broad impact. So you know, going to Vox and and being um, right now VC supported in the long run, advertising supported uh, is a good fit for him. Um, and so, more power to him. I, I don't begrudge his choices at all, and I, I I fear that that's why that's why I toned it down because I fear that came across the wrong way. What what really irked me. Um, about his article, though, was he was his presumption that uh, that blogging that blogging is impossible, and that that basically he made it sound like he does the Vox sort of thing without. And he admitted a big problem with Vox is it's not very good at serving its loyal customers. Like there's not a real personal connection there. You know, they're always trying to get like on on social media and get shared and stuff like that. And his presumption and what undergirded the piece was that that other alternative wasn't possible. And my point was actually, no, I do think it is possible. And the problem for you, Mr. Etcher Klein, who's probably not going to read this, is that you chose to go in the other direction. And my question is, I don't think he knew that he made a choice. And that's what was irritating, if that makes sense. Hmm. Why do you think he's, sorry, be explicit, what was his choice? He, he contrasted loyalty with something else, right? I think his choice was to go big. His choice was to build a broad-based site that reached a lot of people. And in so doing that, you have you, you, you by definition, give up the personal connection with your readers that, that are kind of core to the one-man the one blog. Mm. And, and, and he, 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 the way he put it was that he had no choice because the the one man blog isn't a sustainable business. It it in his words doesn't scale, um, and I think that's wrong. I think it it does scale. Uh, it doesn't have the same reach, and the, and I don't begrudge him. I think the exact words I use. I don't begrudge him his choice. I just wonder if he knows that he made a choice. That's interesting. So your uh, a couple of things are coming to mind. You're contrasting scale with reach, which is a distinction that I don't. I don't think he made in that article. No, that's exactly it. He's, and, and he said at the beginning, oh, the, the one-man blog doesn't scale. I mean, the scale, at least as, as I understand, I think that, that most people think about it, is how do you go from serving one person to serving 10,000 people to serving 100,000 people to serving a million people? Um, 
that blogs, the one man blog scales very, very well. Uh, the only, <laughs> the only cost that goes up is hosting costs and your email server costs and stuff like that. Um, and, and support costs. That's certainly something, but on a marginal basis on, on an every additional reader basis, those costs are infinitesimal. And, uh, and so that means I can do the same work and have one subscriber or a hundred subscribers or a thousand subscribers. And it's about the same amount of work and expense for me. That is the definition of a beautifully scaling business. Mm. But the, the, the distinction with reach is how big your audience gets. Right. Exactly. I mean, my, my audience is, um, at least for my daily updates is, is I have, restricted it. I restricted it by putting it behind basically a paywall. Like, I mean, think about that very word paywall. Like what does a wall do? It keeps people out. And, Mm. and that means I am limiting my reach and, and it's, it's a choice that I had to make. And sometimes it irks, like um, I'll write something in the daily update and I think it's really smart and innovative. And someone else will write the same thing a few weeks later. Again, I, I, Doubt, yeah, I doubt no, they, I, I'm not saying they read it. I doubt right. they read it in my daily update. They probably didn't. But then they'll get wildly retreated and like, wow, so praise this person's so smart. It's like, grr. it's like, but that's, that's, I have to live with that. That's the choice that I made. Right. Right. Uh, it's, I, I got a, I got a small taste of that with the drone stuff when, um, when that, that drone landed on the White House and it was like, oh, well, we talked about that and we wrote about it, but it was limited to a small audience. But I, I, I think it, it's, it, it is part of the choice. It reminds me actually of, um, I, actually, and I'm going to be cheating by mentioning, uh, passing this off as my own, but it does remind me a, a bit of the conversation we had about the rainforest, right? And it's almost like uh, Klein thought he had no choice but to try and become one of the trees up the top like at the canopy like being one of the big trees where where actually he has a choice he could do that and he like advertising is required um uh, in this kind of media advertising is required to exist up the top but there is another option which is the one that you're demonstrating which is to live down the bottom of the rainforest floor and to to be part of to be part of like the very vibrant ecosystem down there and there is a choice without advertising there's a choice without writing the 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 seven things posts that generate all the traffic right exactly and and to be clear i i, I suspect um I, I'm, I'm probably being unfair to Klein for two reasons. One, maybe he did think about it. I, I'm not sure. I mean, he certainly, well, he straight up said he doesn't think a blog scales. So I think he's wrong there. But two, even if he was presented with a choice and he did believe that the paywall model was sustainable, um, I think he would still choose Vox, right? I mean, Klein is, is been quite open about his ambition to, I mean, he wants to shape the U.S. politics. He wants to shape U.S. politics. That's, that's his goal. And if you want to do that, having a, you don't want to limit your reach, right? You, you want yeah. to make sure that, that what resonates is as widely available as it can be. And, and if that's the case, then he's, he's doing, he's doing the right thing. Um, and so I, again, I don't begrudge him his choice. I'm cheering for Vox. It's interesting. So you started off, uh, with the, there, but for, um, a lack of hustle go you in terms of, um, the Ezra Klein thing, but I would say that you've done a pretty remarkable job at, at building up strategery into, into like, uh, particularly among tech circles, um, a well-known, um, 
um, in the Sil- in Silicon Valley. Do you want to, I, I mean, I bet you get a bunch of questions all the time about how you did it and how it all works. I, I'd be curious to understand it a little bit more. <laughs> well, those are kind of words. Um, I, I, it's interesting because I, I, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think it is useful to. Are you blushing right now, Ben? <laughs> it's my. Have I made you blush? It's my. It's, it's my. It's my Midwestern reticence. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, like I, I, I posted in that article that that um, that past two thousand, which is which is you know very exciting. Um, it's awesome. It, it's always good to you know see growth accelerating. Um, at the same time, like I, I, I hate doing that, and I hate doing that. Um, one because I, I'm not. I by no means am wanting to brag or do anything like that. And I haven't made it by any means. I, and I don't mean to suggest that I have. It, it's more that like, this is something that I, I, I absolutely believe on. I believe it to the point where I bet my career on it, that there is another way and that there, and like that the internet doesn't just mean that the big guys are going to crush everyone, that the internet also enables these brand new ways of doing things, these brand new approaches to business. And, uh, and, and not only am I going to say that's the case, I am going to prove it's the case. And, mm. and that's the context in which like I, I release the numbers is just like, I mean, that, I guess that that's what gets people, people's attention more than anything. Right. I, I mean, it's, it, it's definitely demonstrating that there's another way of doing it. I, I mean, Andrew Sullivan is um, Andrew Sullivan was, uh, in many respects, I guess, the trailblazer um, of doing this kind of thing. But but I am curious, like the 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 like, where do you even begin with something like this? Well, um, well, just one thing. Uh, yeah, we should go back to Andrew Sullivan in a, in a bit. And before we get the email, this isn't a discussion about Andrew Sullivan's politics or positions or. That many controversial ones through the years, um, it. But there's no question he's been a pioneer, um, both in the form and, and in the business model. Um, so with that out of the way, um, yeah. Well, I think I think uh, I think the way I thought about it and the way I approached it, um, I hope I, I'm I'm up to sharing it for two reasons. One, I do get a lot of questions about it, and it'd be good to have this episode that we can point to and say, "Here, go listen to this." Um, Two, I, I hope it's useful for different people thinking about their own projects. And yes, it's going to be mostly about um, a, a blog. Um, but I think a lot of the things that I thought about and have done and the lessons I've learned will be applicable to quote unquote mm. lifestyle businesses broadly. Mm. Um, I, I hate that term. Um, yeah. Lifestyle business. But I think it's it's a shame because they're they're not one. It says a lot that the term is is kind of considered derogatory and and kind of is a little derogatory. Uh, last time I checked, I worked pretty damn hard for it to be a lifestyle, you know, for the, the 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 what that entails. But two, all the knowledge and all the press and everyone writes about it is VC backed companies and VC backed companies are growth companies and a growth company is all the principles and the way you think about building a business and all this advice there is online about how you should think about your startup is almost completely opposite the way you should approach a lifestyle business. And, and I don't think enough people talk about or think about the way you build a lifestyle business. And and that, and the result is a lot of people make some wrong decisions right up front that kind of doom them from the beginning. Mm. 
Is there another term for this other than lifestyle business? Is it is it just like an, is it? I mean, I I totally get what you mean when you log on and you start reading about VCs giving advice, but I f- I feel like that's for like a scalable, <laughs> exponential growth type business where it's um where you where you're looking for growth over anything else. Um, but there there's a there are other types of businesses, more traditional types of businesses. L- lifestyle, I I agree with you. It's kind of derogatory. I I feel like you're. St- it demeans the quality of thinking and quality of work to use that term. Yeah, and, and it's particularly frustrating because a lot of the best products, you know, come from "quote unquote" lifestyle businesses. You know, whether that be websites, um, you know, something like Daring Fireball, for example, or whether that be apps. Uh, you know, some of the best, most beloved apps are made by individuals. Um, and what about Artisan? I like Artisan. Yeah, it's not. It, it, yeah, it. it that that could work. How to build an artisan business? I, I, there we the go. only problem is I, I hate thinking of myself as an artisan. Well, you, you kind of are though. Like you're you're an artisan around ideas. Like you 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 craft up and package ideas and ask people to subscribe to you on that basis. Oh, it's so pretentious. Uh, well, you're not a pretentious person, so I don't feel too bad saying it about about you. You, on the other hand. Um, oh, bang, get out of here. Don't call an Australian pretentious unless you want to get into a fight really quickly. <laughs> um, artis- artisanal barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. So, okay, well, um, yeah, so, so the, here's, here's my thinking about it. And I think when we do this, we'll touch on, um, touch on the blog stuff. We'll touch on the um, piece I wrote last week about Zoe Keating and, yeah. uh, you know, subscription businesses and why I think they're, they're a bad idea. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, hopefully it'll be useful to some folks. Mm. Let's do it. So I think when you're thinking about, when you're thinking about any business, but particularly a, a lifestyle business, um, artisan business, artisan business. God damn you. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's three things you need to think about. Um, and this, this isn't controversial, but those three things are product cost, and revenue. And, um, I mean, it sounds cliche, except that I feel the vast majority of artisans, uh, it's going to drive me up the wall, uh, spend 98% of their time thinking about product, uh, 1.8% of their time thinking about revenue and like 0.2% of their time thinking about costs. Mm. And, and that right there is the root of, of so many problems. Um, and the second, the second problem is when I say product, uh, I, I actually should make it four because when I say product, I'm including the market in there. Like what, what is, what is the market for your product? So I guess I'm thinking more like product management as opposed to the actual like building of the thing. Um, and so, so one, they overfocus on product and two, they don't focus on the right aspect of product, if that makes sense. Like that's, that, that, that's, I think where a lot, a lot of people go wrong. Uh, so, so ground that for me in the example of what you do, if you were to make that mistake, how would you have done it? Well, so I mean, I was just, actually, I was just talking to someone about, um, they want to do a similar thing with, with a blog and, and monetize it. And, uh, and the, I mean, I'm terrible at emails and stuff like that, but I, I always love to, to help people like this because I want to see this model work out. But I'm a little nervous for this guy, and the reason I'm nervous is because he's thought a lot about like the pro, like what he wants to do, what he wants to write about, and like why you know why it's interesting. But he hasn't really thought at all about how many people would be interested in this. He hasn't thought about what people would be willing to pay for it. Um, he hasn't thought about 
how unique this offering will be, how essential it will be. Uh, and he hasn't thought about how he's going to make people aware of this product. And so he's thinking about what he wants to. So the distinction you're drawing is like, there's what you want to sell, but you also need to approach it from the consumer perspective and have an understanding of what people want to buy and how many of the those people there are and how much they're going to be willing to pay and so on. Right, exactly. So when you start, when you, when you think about products, like you have to start with the market. And this is, this is, I think the, like you, you have to change your position when you're viewing things. Like most people start out from where they are, where they're sitting and they start with the thing they want to build. Uh, but you, that, that's, it's okay to think about that by all means, but you, but you have to, before you do anything, you have to think about the other side of it. Like who, who, who would need this product? What problem mm-hmm. is being solved? How many people have that problem? How much does that problem hurt? Right? Cause pe- this is what, this is what takes you from a hobbyist to an artisan, right? Like, yes, this is what I want to build. Well, that's nice. You can write your blog and you'll be the only one that reads it. But if you actually want to turn this into a business, you've got to have that market back view. Right, exactly. And so when I was thinking about doing Shushchekri, uh, like I felt very strongly that there was a significant, like despite the fact there's 50 gazillion blogs out there about tech, I didn't feel there were very many blogs that talked about the business of tech. Um, uh-huh. like most blogs would spend tons of time about a new product. They wouldn't think about things like, uh, the cost structure of that product or how that product would go to market or channels. Like how do you manage channels? Like, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So the first one was about tactics. The second one was about like big picture strategy. Like how, strategy, how, right. what does it differentiation mean? What does it mean to, um, I know you're not a huge fan, but I, I still think like Porter's five forces is super explanatory. Um, for stuff like this, like where, where, where is the power coming from in the market? How does leverage work? Like we talked about this with Apple and like how they, like why I'm bullish on Apple Pay in the long run because of the way they, they leverage consumers. Like, and thinking about things in a very structural way in the way, like drawing diagrams, right? Like in like all the paper drawings that I do, like again, s- stuff that um, you weren't, you, you weren't about a lot of stuff in business school for sure. Um, but I, I felt there was an opportunity to mix my my tech, my knowledge about tech. I'd been reading about tech for a very long time in the history of tech um, with kind of business analysis. And there weren't really many people doing that. Um, hmm. You know, there was at the time there was, a Hor- or, you know, our mutual friend Horace Deju, uh, but he was pretty Apple focused. Uh, and, yeah. and, and certainly I, um, I thought I had stuff to say about Apple, but there wasn't really anyone writing about the rest of the industry very much. Um, Benedict Evans was around then, although he was not at Anderson Horowitz and he was more focused on telecoms at that time. Um, and, and less about the consumer internet, like things like Facebook and Twitter, which still, he doesn't really write much about even today. And so, and so right off the bat, I, I thought there was, there is a market for this blog to exist. Right. And so like I'm not doing I'm not it, doing a daring fireball write off where I'm rip off where I'm just going to wink to stuff that's interesting. And I post like my, my, my thoughts on stuff like, like this. Uh-huh. is I mean, this is super important. Like um, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I remember, but but I, I get I get advice questions about advice. Like how like how do you like how do I write or whatever? Blah, blah, blah. And I'll go read this person's blog. And what's the one word I see again and again and again and again and again? It's I, I, I think I feel I, 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 everything's about like their personal response to, to an an episode when people, I mean, not to be blunt, but people don't care. 
I mean, they they will care once you give them a reason to care, but you're not going to build an audience with that. You, You build an audience by giving people stuff that makes sense to them and that they can utilize, right? People, at the end of the day, everyone's selfish. And I don't mean this in a derogatory way. I mean, people people will read stuff and pay for stuff that helps them. And, and if you're not helping people, and if you can't put yourself in their shoes and see how, how you're meeting a need, then you're going to have a hard time getting off the ground. Okay, so it sounds like the first principle is you love writing, you're interested in doing it, you've got to get beyond just like what you like doing and get out and put yourself in, like empathize, put yourself in the shoes of other people, understand what they're looking for, understand where there's where there's white space in terms of the type of, of, of what's out there in the market and the intersection between that and what you enjoy doing and focus there rather than just think about it, this is what I want to write and this is what's going out the door. Right. And, and, and like, I mean, it, it's, it's funny because I, I got some advice when I was first starting and someone's like, oh, you should look to own, everyone writes about Apple, you should look to own the Amazon space or something like that. Um, and, and I'm like, screw that, I'm going to write about Apple. Uh, and and uh, uh, so there's an aspect of you can take certain topics head on, Right. Like there's a lot of people wrote Apple. I wrote about Apple and I got a lot of traction on some of my stuff writing about Apple. But I w- was approaching the subject, I think, from a slightly different angle than than most people were. And so there was something unique about it, right? Like dif- differentiation by definition, somewhere in the definition of differentiation includes the idea of uniqueness. Mm-hmm. And, and just to be, um, it's really hard to be, the exact same, but better. Um, it's a lot easier to be different. It's not easy to be different, but it's like, it's much more easy. It's much easier to communicate your value to potential customers by being different than it is to try to convince them that you're slightly better. Right. Uh, particularly if there are f- habits that have already formed around an existing product. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So, so we've, we've got, we've got over the line from hobbyist to like artisan in terms of like, it's not just about what you want to do, but it's where there's, where there's an ability to be unique in the market. What, what else went through your mind when you were starting? Well, well, two is, um, is this, is this the sort of subject matter that people will find valuable? And, and like, there's, we've talked about like being of value and being of worth, like something can be, um, like People can really appreciate something that doesn't mean they're going to pay for it. Um, in the case of me, no question, this like this is a a an attractive niche, and I recognize this when people say, "Oh, that's fine for you, Ben." Uh, people care about technology. People who work in technology. People who invest in technology. Uh, they need to understand technology industry because they have money riding on it. That money might involve their career. That money might involve their investments, um, and and there is some aspect where they just it's their hobby and they just love reading about it and so and mm. so they'll they'll pay for it um so that was definitely a plus that i had in the folks i was going forward if i'm at the business of technology well you could see there being an audience willing to pay for that uh right. at at some point in time got it that makes a lot of sense so um so for sure that's i mean that that's an advantage we can talk more about that more of the future so 
So, so pick a market where people have deep pockets and feel like <laughs> you're going to help them make some money. Well, it's, I mean, it, that's, that's the, that's the easy answer. I do think that there are ways to make, make money in, in other areas. Like someone was, was arguing with me that, um, you know, my, my philosophy is good for Ben. They're like, Oh, what about something for crafts? Um, I actually think crafts, uh, there's lots of evidence that there is a, um, that there's a market there, like where if people like where people trust you and they, they, they know that you're not going to lead them astray and you're going to help them do really cool stuff. Like they'll, they'll pay for it. Right. And like what, so I, I don't think it's just areas where people can invest and where people have jobs. Mm. I think it's where people do feel very passionately and where, uh, and where it's really easy to waste time and money. Like if you can save people time and money because they trust you, uh, that's an opportunity to charge. Got it. I was being a little bit cynical, but it was probably worthwhile for the clarification. Yeah. So, um, uh, so, so number one is, is, is identify market two is like, you, I think you need to think about how you're going to monetize at the beginning part. Like it's one thing to be a VC back business and a growth business. And you're just, I want to get as many users as possible. And then I figure it, figure mm-hmm. it out that that's, that's okay. And the reason it's okay is because that's the hardest part. The hardest part of being an advertising supported business is getting a ton of users. Like the second hardest problem, like monetization is like number one gazillion after that. Like the, 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 the vacuum between getting hundreds of millions of users is so much harder than anything else possible. And so you're right. Like every single consumer focused startup that is good, that depends on having a lot of users is 100% correct in not spending a single iota thinking about advertising for their first five years. Full stop. Right. Um, and, and, and that, that's the exact opposite way you need to think about your business. If you're, if you're going to be an artisan or bootstrapped or lifestyle, whatever we're going to use. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is reminding me of one of the theories that we, we learn about in, in, uh, Clay's class. It's the, the notion of patient for profit or patient for growth. And you should decide what circumstance you're in before deciding which is best. Right. Exactly. And, and, and in this case, like you need to think about your monetization from the beginning. Now that doesn't mean you need to monetize from the beginning. Um, I, I did strategy for a year before I monetized it, but from the beginning, I knew that the way I wanted to monetize it was, was to have people pay to get more. Basically, that that's my model, and ultimately, like what I settled on, and and is part of this is I, I'm going to deliver these meaty articles uh, once or twice a week, and then I have all these other ideas and all this other stuff I want to write about. I mean, like this, uh, people ask me if I'm going to burn out. I mean, maybe I will at some point, but the reality is I've been reading voraciously about tech and thinking about it, and like having ideas coming out like daily for like 15 years now, right? Um, so when I burn out, it'll, it'll be, it, it's not going to like, I'm just doing what I've, what I've always done in a lot of ways, but it's, so number one, knew the market. Number two, uh, knew how I wanted to monetize, even though I didn't turn on the beginning and, and ask me later about, um, how I decided to win. Um, uh, so that, 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 that was the product. So one, like I knew the market I wanted to reach and two, I knew what I wanted to, what I wanted to give them. Um, and Three, the third part of marketing is like, how are you going to find those people? And so for me, that was doing just the free part, writing what were hopefully very interesting articles, making sure they were super awesome, and uh, 
and having people start following the blog, start following me on Twitter, start following me on RSS, you know, subscribing via email. Um, and, and so that's what I did for the first year. And important note here, like I didn't quit my job or I, I left Microsoft, but I got another job. Like, so no question this was from a time perspective, one of the most difficult periods because I was basically working two jobs to, to a degree. I write much more now than I did then. Then I was writing again, like two pieces a week. Now I write five um, and do a podcast. Uh, but that, that, that was very, it was, no question was stressful. was working very hard, staying up very late every night to, to, to write these things. Um, but that, I mean, that's just, just, it's just what you got to do. Uh, you, if you have savings, you could, you could, you know, do it to build up, but you have to get to that critical mass. I think it's hard to just come out of the gate, at least for a blog sort of thing to just come out of the gate, trying to charge money from the get go, because, um, you have to, at least for the blog model, it really depends on having loyal followers, like people that if, if you're going to have a give them more model, you need people who want more. And that's hard to generate if no one knows who you are. Right. And, uh, so that logically brings up the question that you waited a year before switching the paywall on, like, how did you know, like, talk me through the thinking, like, did, were you thinking about doing it sooner, but was there a number you were aiming for? Like, how did you know that a year was the right time? How did you, how did you get a sense that you had the right number of followers to like, to switch this, to, to put the wall up? Well, first off, I just want to, I just want to catch that. I, I don't, yes, there's a paywall, but I don't think about it as putting a wall up. And I think, I, no, it's okay. It's my, okay. Cause I, I think this is an important distinction. Um, again, my model is give them more. Uh, and I think this is, this is an important point to, to, to lay out, especially something that wants to do the blog model. If you start out like putting tons of stuff up every day and at some point you kind of pull the rug out from people and say, okay, now you have to pay for it. That it's risky and it's risky because it, it, it's just from a psychological perspective. It's like, oh, now you want me to pay for what I got for free before. Like that makes that, that leaves a bad taste. I think in your prospective customer's mouth, the same customers that you need to not only give you money, but to be your biggest advocates and to tell other friends and family to sign up. And so I, w- I very purposely kept the number of posts I was doing lower because I, when I did launch, I wanted to be, I was giving more. So it's like, oh boy, I, I'm going to keep getting what I got. And now because I really like it, and I want more, I, I, I can pay to get more. And that, that gives a much better feeling to your potential customers and there it makes the purchase a, a joyous purchase as opposed to a drudgerous purchase and i think I, I think that's i think that's really important and um uh if you're baiting and switching yeah exactly and it, it's tough for like you know it's tough for someone who's already and this is i think something that that sold that was tough for Sullivan. um was he had been delivering so much stuff every day for so long and then now he had to pay for some of it and I think that actually made led to some bad decisions from just a theoretical perspective. Like he, his paywall was super leaky. It wasn't, he, you, you didn't have to pay very much like $19 a year. I mean, it worked for him because he had so many readers, like millions of readers, but I don't think the tactical choices he made would translate to very many people. And so, and yeah. so it, that, that's where a lot of the criticism I think is fair, 
like, yes, no one's going to replicate the Sullivan model, but that's because the Sullivan model was it, the, the idea of having a paywall for a single blogger works the way in which Sullivan did it, I don't think can be copied. Yeah, well, I, I think it's reasonable to cut some slack to the to the individual who figured it out the first time. Oh, totally. You know, no, totally. I, I mean, I, no, I mean, I think he's going to be go down as like the pioneer of this of this new model. I'm just pointing out that like it's it him in particular. You can say that's fine for Sullivan, um, just because like the way he did it presumed millions of followers and and. And what I'm trying to propose that there's a way to do it without that. I started with 368 followers on Twitter, like the, the, when I wrote the first post on Stratechery. So, mm. so I, I feel, um, I think it's like people now, especially who are new to me, new to the blog, kind of presume I had lots of followers and and people reading. Uh, that wasn't the case. So let me come back to the original question and I'll I'll use less poorly worded language. At what point did you decide it was right to start offering more and offer that for uh, for a fee? So uh there was so first off I I I thought it would take like 5 years. <laughs> so um to do it a year in was was pretty aggressive, but there were two there were two factors. Um the first factor was the metric that I used. It was really hard. It's really hard to get metrics for the sort of blog that I was doing because the number of readers would vary tremendously based on the popularity of a post, like that whole like social media mm. thing. Like I got huge boosts off social media and social media is a fantastic marketing tool that you should leverage. But it, it like, it was hard to, it, it was hard to know like one, one post would get 50,000 views. One post would get 5,000. Like it, it, it I'm, certainly the 5,000 was, was closer to the truth, but then how are they going to pay, blah, blah, blah. So the metric that I used was number of people who visited the homepage on days I did not post. So that means they went to stuchery.com. They weren't following a link to an article, uh, but there was no reason to go to stuchery.com. There wasn't a new article. And to me, the that person was my target audience because they were looking for more. They were going to the site and there wasn't anything there. Um, and they, they wanted more. And so that was the number that I was, that I was focused on. And you had a, did you have a target for that at the start or you just kind of got a sense as that grew and you were like, okay, I, I, I think there's something here. Yeah. I'd like to pat myself on the back and say I had this all mapped out, but no, it was, it was, it was more by feel. Um, I think, um, when I watched, I had about 3,500, uh, visits on a typical day. Or, or three thousand visits somewhere on there to the homepage when I had nothing posted, um, and then I had uh, and I had seventeen thousand RSS readers, I think, or something like that. Uh, and you know, I I kind of presume that RSS readers would not be my would not monetize well, <laughs> just fucking stereotype. Um, so I didn't put too much stock into that. Uh, the um, so that was part of it. So I'm like, so I was pretty ambitious. I'm like, well, if I can get 10% of those people, so that'd be 350. And then with growth, because I was still growing very fast, like just my my daily readership, uh, that that's how I got my goal of 500 for the first year, was uh, get 500 people for the first year. My outside goal, as I've mentioned, was 1,000, which if you incorporate all the RSS readers and and you know and a better conversion rate, then I can maybe get to a thousand, and obviously, um, you know, I've I've managed to exceed that. But that's that's where my head was at when when I when I was there. 
So, 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 it, so then also at the time, I presumed I would monetize from multiple sources. So I would monetize from subscriptions. I was going to do have sponsored posts like during Fireball. Um, I was going to have a podcast where I'd have ads. And I was going to do speaking. I was going to do consulting. So um, the speaking one never really materialized. It hasn't yet. Um, I'm starting to occasionally get invites now. But um, that that's something that that comes with once you've been around and established. Like I was way too ambitious about that. The podcast, obviously the podcast has grown well, but podcasts are hard to grow, right? Because they they don't benefit from that social component, really. It's hard to go viral with a podcast. And mm. so I think we've grown very nicely. Um, you know, we're in the well into the five digits at this point, but, um, but it, we haven't turned on ads and it's not, it's okay. It's an okay audience for advertising. It's not great. And, you know, I think we've talked about we're hesitant to kind of, unless we haven't, we don't need to do it yet. And it's kind of nice that we don't have to do it um, right mm. now. And then the sponsored posts, uh, I, I, I had to lower the price to 500. Um, I was hoping to get more. And then I wasn't filling every week. And then it was a pain. I didn't like doing it. And I did a crappy job. And the posts were really generic. And, and it really, um, it, it, it was it had bad incentives. It, I felt like I had to write at least two pieces for the main blog a day, and so I I was conflicted between writing for the broad audience where lots of readers would come and read, and writing for my daily update audience who were paying to to get more. So I had bad incentives. I had mixed incentives, and and so I ended up killing that. It was uh, I, I don't think it was a good idea to do both, and I have zero intention of, of, of going back and, and re-adding that. So uh, it kind of leads me to my next question. Knowing what you know now, um, what else would you do differently from the get-go? Well, I, th- I think there's, there's a couple other things. So, so I talked about product and market, but the, I think it's super important to think about costs and revenue from the beginning. Um, and I think this will touch on some of that. Um, so from, from a cost perspective, if you're, especially if you're building an internet business, like, you you have to your goal should be basically zero costs. So no investment, um, don't have investment, don't have extra costs, don't have extra employees. Like all that is just like stuff you have to pay for that you could do yourself. Um, and so and then by the same token, you need to build on your own time, right? You need to uh, or you know whether it's after work at night or or you know living on your savings. Part of this is like building on your own time and building that audience before you like quit your job. It, it's it's optionality. Like it, optionality is super super important. I think to this sort of business because your costs are so low and because you don't need much upfront investment, you can retain optionality for for a long time. And that's um and by optionality, I don't mean doing a bunch of stuff. I mean having the option to do stuff. And and so I think you can be focused and still retain optionality. Building the blog and building an audience while still having another job, um, that let me, that let me like not push it and not not overdo it and like and not like be pleading for readers and doing stuff that I would later regret because I needed I needed to get it I because I still I still I still had a job, and uh, that said I made choices in my jobs in jobs that I pursued, like I only pursued jobs that would allow me to blog. I, I I was exactly going to go there. You've talked about costs in terms of running the business, but there's also like a broader there's a broader 
um, there's a broader question around the way you live your lifestyle in order to enable you to do something like this, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, I didn't. I barely slept for for a year. Uh, I would I would do my job during the day, and then I would hang out with my family and uh, and eat dinner and put the kids to bed, and then I would start writing. And I'd usually go to bed at two or three in the morning, and then I'd wake up at wake up with my daughter to take her to school and, and and do it again. Did you did you find that affected your ability to write decent stuff? <laughs> well, the evidence suggests no. Um, well, do you think you would have done well? I yeah, okay. I, I would say. I mean, I, I, mean, I would say I have I have two superpowers, and maybe people say that makes it fine for Ben. But I have two superpowers um, that I think are very useful. One, I write very quickly, um, and mm. I don't generally need to rewrite or like heavily edit what I, what I write. Um, mm. And part of that is just practice. I've written, I've been writing like a lot and quickly for a very long time. Like I said in, in, in college, I, this is exactly what I did in college. I, I wrote uh, in an average week, I'd write a column and four to five editorials and I would edit multiple other columns and editorials plus go to school. So I mean like, mm. it's just, that's, I've been good at that for a while. And the other thing is I'm one of those people that I just don't need very much sleep. Um, I can right. operate at a pretty high level, uh, you know, without a lot of sleep. I, I mean, it's not, it's probably not the best idea. It's probably not good for my health, but I'm, I'm capable of doing it. And I recognize that m- most people aren't. And so. Sure. When I, when I said the lifestyle thing though, it, it, it was also just the notion of like, when you start out with something like this in the same way that you want to avoid adding costs in the business. I think you get to a point of independence from needing a job if you actually keep your own lifestyle relatively frugal. Like it, then it needs to be generating that much less revenue before it becomes sustaining to the point where it can become your full time. No, job. absolutely. And this is a big advantage if you're single, um, for sure. Uh, this was more of a challenge for me because um, you know I have a family and uh, and you know. And so it, 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 it's only so much of your cost basis you can. Yeah, it, it, the the reality is my costs weren't of the costs that I had a direct control over weren't a huge portion of of like our lifestyle costs. But that said, that's mm. that's absolutely right. Like if you can cut down what you need to live because you yourself are your only expense, um, that mm. dramatically lowers the point at which you can go independent. And then and once you go independent, it's a big deal because now you're focusing all your energy on it, and that increases your growth, right? So the faster you can get out of this kind of like doing two things at once thing, the better for sure. And, and no, you're absolutely right. A really great way to do that is to limit your own personal, your own personal costs. Right. It was actually some advice I was given a while ago that, that oftentimes you find that when you're doing something you don't like, one of the ways you try making up for it is by indulging in a whole bunch of lifestyle things. The problem with doing that is it ends up trapping you even more in that job that you don't enjoy because to, to maintain the lifestyle, you need the money. And if you want to start again in the same way you've started again, like build something from scratch, chances are you're not going to be, you're either not going to be that good at it and not be paid as much or not have the audience yet and not be paid as much. And you can't afford to go and do something that you enjoy doing and you think is valuable because your lifestyle has trapped no, you. No, that's absolutely right. Um, and this actually kind of brings me to I talked about the like how I decided to do it when I did. Like there are two less mm. glamorous reasons. So the first one is uh like the lifestyle was getting unsustainable. Like my like there's tension between my wife and I. Um 
I, I was tired. It was, it was, and I felt like I was doing a bad job at my other job, to be frank. And I felt mm. bad about that. Um, because my attention was divided and like, I, I felt really guilty about it. And that guilt like weighed really heavily on me. Um, I mean, I didn't get any comments or anything like that. It was just my, I felt I wasn't performing to my standards. And the reason I was performing to my standards was because I was doing something else. Mm. And so that, that's something certainly to consider. Uh, the other thing is, um, I thought I had a consulting job lined up where I would work with them for 20 hours a week and, um, and for a pretty decent amount of money. And then that would allow me to at least work on the blog 20 hours a week and do this other thing. And then with, and basically fill in the income gap. Mm. Uh, so what happened was that was going to happen. Uh, I quit my job because I figured, well, I need to actually like build up the site and the membership system and all this sort of stuff. And I worked on that, you know, like, I wanted to spend full time on that. And I did that for a few weeks and then I launched the site and then uh, the company I was going to consult for had trouble with their series B and they cut off all hiring. Oh man. And so I had just the blog and, uh, and this was like, this was the, like I wasn't sleeping and it was, I wasn't not sleeping because I had stuff to do. I wasn't sleeping because like I was so nervous and, worried and what am I going to tell my wife and um, like, am I going to have to go on? And especially because we'd moved to Taiwan and you know, they're not, there's not really great job ops from here. Am I, I going to go like, seriously, I thought about, should I go and teach English um, to, to pay the bills? Uh, and that, that was, that was pretty rough, especially because as I think All I told right. you, like, the, my first day goals. So my, my launch was a disaster that I messed up the SSL certificate. So like no one could buy anything. Um, and then my first day goals, I had a one day goal, one week goal, one month goal and one year goal. And I did that because I presume I get the most purchases at the beginning because people, you know, all those people that were waiting, right. That those 350 people I wanted to reach were coming to my site every day. Um, and I didn't meet my one day goal, but I almost did. I didn't make my one week goal, but I kind of almost did. And I didn't make my one month goal. So this wasn't helping my my sleeping. I I will remember this story every time we get to uh it's all right for Ben moment. Yeah. So um anyhow what what happened was uh you know got more um well just one thing on the cost thing this is a mistake that I made. I wish I would have spent more time building the site and the membership system and had spent more like I'm going to rehaul the whole thing pretty soon here and actually spend some real money doing it. Um, but I wish I'd done that from the beginning because that would have saved me a lot of trouble in the long run. Um, that said, it, it, go, it cuts both ways. Like I did, I did it all on myself. So that cu- kept my costs down in the short run, but it made them greater in the long run. Maybe it was a good trade off because I didn't have any money then. Um, but well, I, it's also hindsight 2020 knowing now you've been successful. Right? Yeah, no, for sure. And, but you asked me like what, what I wish I had done differently. Um, yeah, it's like right. pay for what matters is the way I'd put it. Like keep your costs super low. Don't hire anyone for sure, but spend a little bit of money on the stuff that that's actually really, that that's actually like important. So this Got is it. super, super important. And this gets back to the Zoe Keating piece. Um, 
you, you, and this gets to the reach versus scale. Like I think for a lifestyle slash artisanal slash whatever we're calling it business, I still hate artisanal. Sorry. I like lifestyle better than artisanal. Um, You have to think about making more money from your best customers as opposed to thinking, think about getting a lot of customers. Like this is the number one most important cannot forget lesson for, uh, for someone being on the jungle floor. It's make it's it's find the people who get the most value and and charge them for it. And it's this I'm not saying you're taking advantage of them. The whole point is they are getting a ton of value. And so you're just capturing your share of that. Um and so many people get stuck on charging a little price and trying to reach a lot of people and they charge something and people complain about how much it costs and the people who are complaining, you have to be willing to let them go. Like once you charge a price, you're for sure not going to reach everyone. And you have to be okay with that. You have to appreciate there are some people who will, who are not willing to pay. And, and like, there's nothing that's the most important thing you have to have in your head whenever you're, you're trying to build this sort of business. So, so why is this approach the right one? If you're down the bottom on the jungle floor, because that's that, that's like, the, your revenue is a function of your price times your number of customers. And if your number of customers are not going to be that great, the way you get more revenue is to have, charge a higher price. That's number one. Number two is particularly for a blog or anything depending on advertising, adver- the price of uh, ad- advertising also has a power curve. There's really lucrative advertising that Facebook captures and stuff like that because they sell directly to the advertisers. Like they say, we can deliver this audience and people pay for that. Once you get past the head of the curve, it's all this programmatic stuff. Like people aren't buying, no no advertiser is coming to techery for the most part. People are buying into a, a, a you know, they're buying programmatically. They're going through through double click or whatever it might be. And yes, there's some stuff. There, there is an effort, particularly on small blogs to have these sponsored posts, but the revenue isn't, it's not that great. Um, you're still kind of on a per view basis, and in general, you're, you're, the amount you're going to make per customer just isn't that much, and you just have to get so many customers that to make it worthwhile. And again, like I said this before, it's it's getting a ton of users is the hardest part um, of, of any business. And if getting a ton of users is the hardest part, then why do you want to choose a business model that depends on getting a ton of users? That's uh, a very good question. You don't. Right. I agree. So, and, and so, and this is back to my Zoe Keating thing. The problem I have with subscription models is it caps the amount of money you can get from your best users. So I, I'm, I, I, I want to touch on the Zoe Keating thing as well, because I have another question in relation to that. But there is one thing that I want to ask you, and it relates to something that Andrew Sullivan said in his, um, in his sign-off post, which is that part of the reason that he's not going to do it anymore is because of the stress associated with feeling like he's always got to produce, he's always on, it never lets up. Can you relate to that? Um, kind of. Well, let me let me approach this from two perspectives. So one, when it comes to revenue, uh, recurring revenue is super important. So um, it's not just getting like, I don't want... I don't want to charge. So, so some people are like, well, I would rather just give you pay something up front. And that that's, I turn them away. Like, I don't want, I, 
I'm going to choose not to have your money because you have to think about stuff in the long term. I don't want $10 from you up front or $100 from you up front or $1,000 from you up front. I want you signed up giving me $10 a month for as long as I'm delivering value to you. In that respect, I'm kind of betting on myself to be able to keep delivering value to the degree that they won't mind when their credit card gets charged every month. And so it's thinking about your customers from a lifetime value perspective instead of thinking about them from mm-hmm. a transaction perspective. And this is this is super important. Um, and this is this is this is the core. This is ex- the core of the criticism mm-hmm. I have against Apple for the App Store is I think they make it too hard to get money from your best customers. And so the, the the businesses that end up being sustainable are the ones that have, like, say, a server component, and they can charge a subscription fee for that or something like that. Um, but you can't, like, it's hard to, like, go back to your customers and charge for upgrades. It's all, it's there's ways, but they're all convoluted and hard. And that's too bad because I think the the most essential component of this sort of business is to not just get most of your revenue from your best customers, but to get most of your revenue from your best customers on a recurring basis. Mm. So... Yes, that leads to the question. That means I have to deliver something every day. Um, I think, though, I think my model is, is I hope, more sustainable than Sullivan's. The, the, the challenge, again, this gets back to Sullivan starting out before, like Sullivan building his product before he built his business model. And again, like that's not a really fair criticism. He did his product for 13 years before he did the business model, then two years with it. But he, he delivered something like 40 posts a day. And the way in to do that, he had to hire people and he himself had to push stuff out and act, you know, react very quickly. And that's a that's the business model for an advertising-based business. That's what's so ironic about all Sullivan's complaints about advertising. Was Sullivan was a who wasn't he had an advertising product, a product that lent itself to advertising, uh, yet he eschewed advertising and and wanted to have a subscription model. Um, so the way I think about it is um, I, it's really important to me to deliver something of quality every day, but I'm not like killing myself to do it. Like I, I read in the morning, I think about stuff. I t- spend way too much time on Twitter and then I spend the afternoon writing something. And I guess the question is what run out of stuff to write about. I'm sure that's possible. I'll tell you right now. I have, uh, I have an Evernote, Evernote folder with, uh, it has to have thousands of articles that I've clipped because I think they could be the basis for something interesting. This is just in the last year. Um, so I, I, I mean, tech is such a great industry because there's so much stuff to write about and I can learn about stuff. I can, I can write about it. And I think we've talked about like, you know, I, I have a model of the way the world works and a piece of news can come up. I run it through the model. If it fits the model, I can write about that. If it's different, I can write about, wow, this, this surprises me. What can I, what can I learn? And that and so what people are kind of they're buying access to that model, right? I will process the news mm-hmm. and 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 say what I think about it, and um, and so that it works. It feels sustainable. I, I don't feel burnt out. Um, and but who knows? But but this gets back to optionality. The, the the other thing I'm doing though is by doing this and by continuing the public posts. The public posts are kind of like when I'm enhancing the model, right? Like this is a new way to think about something. Um. I'm increasing my own personal optionality. So if I do get burnt out, um, I feel pretty confident in my ability to get a job, uh, you know, especially now. And that's, and that's, so it's important. So it's useful to me to stay, to have public posts and to still be increasing my reach. Mm. Um, 
because it does give me long-term optionality, even though I currently have no intention of, of, of pursuing that. Totally. So I, I want to push on this a little bit further. It's, it doesn't sound like running out of things is a source of stress, but I think, uh, and that, that's different from your model and Sullivan's model, but I think one of the things that you do is you put a pretty high bar in terms of quality of the things that you put out. Is that a source of stress? Yeah, that, 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 no, it is for sure. And like, I'm bummed out when I send something out. I don't think it's as good as it could be. Um, or, uh, or particularly when I put stuff on the, on the, it sounds bad, but like when I put stuff on the main site and like, especially I'm trying to, like, I have an idea and I don't quite get it worked out, but like, I need to, like, I need to get something up. Um, so that's, that's something I'm thinking about a lot. Like, how do I change? Like, so for example, previously I was doing five daily updates plus one blog post and Mm. that was, and that I, I changed that to doing four daily updates plus the blog post. And I send the blog post out in the email and a ton of people asked me to do that because they're like, I'm so used to reading you an email now. I forget to read the stuff on the web. And so it worked from a workflow perspective for them, but it also was good for me because now I was doing one piece a day instead of one day a week, I was doing two pieces. Um, Mm. So that's good. The bad thing though, is that puts more stress on that one piece because uh, that piece, like if I don't finish it, I don't have a daily mail for that day. And, and so that I need to figure that out how I manage that. I think part of it is doing more pre-work, getting more stuff done. So if, I, if it's not done, I could already have a, a daily update that I can fit in instead. Um, but I'm trying to figure that out right now for that exact reason. Like, How do I balance um, making sure I keep the quality bar without feeling like I need to put something out? I mean, the, the, the thing is, this is, I'm not trying to denigrate the daily update. The daily update is different. It's more responsive to the news of the day. And so in some respects, mm-hmm. it's easier to write. And even if I, and sometimes I'll write an item and I, yeah, that stinks, but there's something else that happened that day I can write about. And I'm writing, mm. you know, seven to 800 words about an item as opposed to a typical blog, blog post, which is 2000 words. And, and in a blog post, I'm usually trying to like formulate something new to the world. Um, and, and so th- I, I, that, for sure, that's attention and something that I need to, that I need to figure out. Yeah, I, I I think that would be so. Trying to put myself in your shoes, that would be a source of stress for me. I I, I like sitting on things and leaving them to mull them over, and that quality bar is is like a is a big thing. And the the daily or the the like it has to be done on a certain time frame seems like a very artificial restriction. It would it would it would cause me stress. Yeah. I mean, it, for the most part, it's okay. I mean, usually like I, I'm already thinking about my, my blog posts, like several days in advance. Like, I'm looking at my whiteboard. Now I have like five, I have five or six ideas up there. Um, mm. And usually on Friday or Saturday, I try to pick one for the next week. And so I spend mm. four or five days thinking about it before I write it. And so I have it mostly mm-hmm. worked out. Um, and so I would say it, I, I'd say that's been the case. So the couple times that I've had problems, it's usually like I thought I had it worked out in my head, but actually writing it, it was more difficult than I expected. Um, and so that's that's usually when when I've gotten in trouble. Um, but for the most part, it's been it's been okay. Last question before we go back to Keating: What does thinking about it entail? <laughs> well, that's the secret sauce, I guess. 
Ah, the Colonel's secret recipe. Well, no, All right. Uh, so I'll read something or I'll find something or I'll have an idea or I'll be on Twitter and someone will say something and they'll spark something. Um, so like take peak Google, that, for example, there was resonates. like, I, I, there was some Google announcement or something. And, um, I think I posted on Twitter, like, man, Google's starting to have the whiff of, you know, late outs, Microsoft, I think was the exact tweet. And, <laughs> and then some you know, was like, Oh, why is that? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Think about it. And, and so then like, it, it, this is the hardest question to answer because people always ask me like, what do you read? How can I get started? How can I think about strategy? Blah, blah, blah. And the problem is that uh, I've been reading about and thinking about this since I was in junior high school, basically. And, and from day one, I've been most interested in the business side of it. Like, and so like I, I was following Apple long before, I think I've said this in the podcast before, but long before I had an Apple product because I found their business interesting. It was different. And, um, and so that's where the articles come from. They, they, yes, they are, they are ideally new and, and I've put explicit thought into them, but what I'm, when I'm thinking a lot of the times I'm thinking about the bones of, and the structure of the argument, but all the tissue, all the sinew, all the, all the muscle, all the organs, that's just there. And it's there, it's there because, because my brain is a primordial soup, you know, that has all the ingredients in there. And it's just a matter of, of pulling out, pulling out whatever, whatever it is. And and, and so I, I, how do you replicate that? Well, you go, you get a time machine and go back to junior high school and start reading and thinking about this stuff all, all the time. Well. Well, the best time to do something is 10 years ago, always. The second best time to do something is right now. No, it, well, exactly. And it's just, I mean, it's just, and it's, it's, it's more than just reading it, right? I, like, this is like, you always hear advice, oh, read about tech or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But um, when you read something, think about it. Like, if a company does something that you disagree with, instead of just saying, I disagree with that, like, what? That's step one is just like spouting off. Step two is saying, I disagree because ABC. That's better. Where you really get good is you stop and think, why did this company do this? All right, Microsoft did X. Oh, that's a bad idea because ABC. But if you want to get to like the next level, all right, Microsoft did this. I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong as ABC. But I can understand that Microsoft had constraint A, constraint B, incentive C. And that's what led them to do this. And they're trying to accomplish this. And and is that possible? Do they have the research to do it? Like, can they change those incentives? Can they do that? Like, that's that's how you read a story. And I think it's that that third click down. That's what I try to deliver. That's my product is getting to that third level down. And if you want to do similar work, you have to train yourself to approach every story that way. So I see a story that that all these stories in my Evernote folder, those are ones where I see there's a third level. Like, like, wow, like that's interesting. When, when me, when me, and then let me get into it. Yeah. Makes lots of sense. All right. You mentioned Zoe Keating and I, I want to, I want to push you a little bit on this because one of the recurring themes that we've talked about is how the folks down on the forest floor, um, the folks down on the forest floor uh, should uh, should not be thinking about the 
the ads, the the ad slash mass audience type models, and that that's something that should really be reserved for those folks that break through up to the top canopy. You talked in the Zoe Keating article, or you quoted um, some figures from the Guardian around how much she made and the sources of income, and and it 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 bears out the the basic argument that the 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 revenue that she generated, the source of income, were from iTunes stores where it was purchase of tracks versus the Spotify streams, which strikes me as uh, strikes me as the equivalent of advertising services for um, for artists. It's it's something where you make money when you're on mass. What's interesting is that you you say that Keating it ma- it doesn't make any sense for Keating to be on Spotify. But previously, you'd also talked about this in the context of Taylor Swift too, and you said it doesn't make sense for her to be on Spotify. I guess my question, the natural question I have is, does it make sense for any artist to be on Spotify? <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fair. I stay with that and I wrote the, wrote, wrote the Keating thing. So let, let me separate those. So first off for Keating, I, like the core reason she should not be on Spotify is because it caps the amount of money she can make from her best fans. Like... And I think that's a bad situation to be in. And yes, people could pirate stuff, blah, blah, blah. But there are people like there are a lot of people who don't want to pirate, who want to support you and will feel they are supporting you because they pay for Spotify. Mm-hmm. So they feel good about supporting you when in reality they're giving you like three cents. And mm-hmm. um, and I don't think streaming is bad. I mean, Zoe Keating and lots of other artists like Zoe. Yes, she made thirty eight thousand on iTunes. She also made twenty five thousand on Bandcamp. Bandcamp is like the artist-friendly side. I remember on the daily, daily update where you set the terms, you keep like 70% of it. You can have streaming, you can have extra stuff for your supporters. Like that's a like, so she is, it's not that she's being a Luddite and ignoring the future, but by going with a more artist-friendly service, she is actually already almost making as much there as she is on iTunes. So I mean, Zoe Keating strikes me as the opposite of a Luddite. She up, she uploads her work to the pirate. Yeah, I know exactly. It's like when people are going to pirate, at least make sure they have quality stuff. Um, right. So no, I mean, so she's she's definitely a radical. Um, but but still, I think that that number, I, I'm actually more interested in that Bandcamp number than I am in the iTunes number. Um, and meanwhile, right. on Spotify, she's making seventeen hundred dollars. Um, so and twelve hundred dollars on YouTube. So um, so that at the core is why things are for Zoe Keating. As far as Taylor Swift goes, um, Taylor Swift is unique. And like Taylor Swift is like the Microsoft of music. And what I mean by that is she is both massively popular and like massively has massively loyal fans. Like usually you think about there being a niche, like you have some, you have a small number of fans that really love you, like Zoe Keating. Or you think about like you're a band that's broadly popular, but like people, you know, like, you know, people, people can kind of take it or leave it. And, and Taylor Swift is unique and someone that's worth studying. Maybe this happens more in music than other categories, just because um, music is so meaningful to people, but like people really care about like Taylor Swift and she's really important to their lives. And, and she wrote about this actually in her Wall Street Journal piece last summer that Lots of people in tech mocked, but you know, I thought was really insightful. She's like, there are some artists that, and there are some songs that you like for a season. You'll dance to the club. There are other part artists that like, I think her phrase is like shoot you through the heart and like you will, you will buy everything that they do and you will follow them and you'll do all that sort of stuff. And she is in the unique position that she is that type of artist. She just happens to be that type of artist for millions of people. 
And in this, she's like Microsoft able to both have a vertical business model and a horizontal business model all at the same time, just because they happen to be on every single computer in the world. So I think for your average artist who has, um, you know, you're just trying to get noticed uh, Spotify and it's sharing and it's discoverability are super important. If you don't need that, um, why, why, why go there? Like, why should Taylor Swift go there? Why should she limit her income? But then if you're basically, so, if, if you, so the way you just described it is in terms of discoverability, it almost sounds like marketing in that world. You'd expect, you'd expect it to make sense for Zoe Keating. But the impression I got was like YouTube, Spotify makes no sense. Well, she, she has a couple of tracks on Spotify. Um, the problem with the YouTube service was YouTube. In, uh, she had to include every single track on YouTube uh, that she uh, had. Like she couldn't like, it was like, a, I can't remember what the term is, but a category where you can't privilege other services of your own, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a, there's a specific legal term for it. Apple got in trouble with it, with the ebook stuff. Um, but uh, like, most yes, most, yeah, most favorite nation clause. Um, and so that was the problem with YouTube in particular. I think it's no problem to like dip your toe in and use it for marketing. Like I, for me, like social media is super important. That's how people find out about strategy. And I spend a lot of time on social media and I spend a lot of time, you know, interacting with people because I want people to, you know, one, I like it, but two, like it's important that people have that connection to me. Like people will pay because they want more. And so you, you have to give them something to have them want more. Um, and so I think it's fine to use those services for that. I'm, I'm, again, I'm very, I think the fact that you're capping the amount you can get from your best fans is super problematic. And, um, I think Spotify makes the most sense for things like back catalogs where, you know, you're not going to make much money from them, but that's a great way to like get people in, in the tent. But if, if if you were to draw a parallel with your own service, wouldn't it almost be the case that you'd want to put the hits up on Spotify to draw people in and to get discovered and that you'd actually want to keep the back catalog separated out so the most loyal fans can then pay for it? Pay for Maybe it? that, 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 yeah, that, that, that might be totally valid. Um, and that, that, that might make sense. Uh, you know, with maybe like a couple extra tracks on Spotify so people can hear that, oh, the other tracks are pretty good as well. Um, no, I think that makes sense. And I think that's the way I think you need to think about these services. You need to think about, especially if you're this, the, the individual artist or, or whatever it might be, you need to think about social media and you think about Spotify and you think about all these aggregators as you need to turn them into a tool. Like you, you don't want to be their slave. And that's like, and that's the tightrope that Vox has to walk, that all these things have to walk is they are incredibly powerful tools. So treat them as a tool, but never let yourself become captive to them. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, the, these it these make more sense to me when you think about okay, here, here is here is where I'm putting in my marketing effort, and here is where my sales effort is focused. And and so in 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 your instance, it would be that that social media and the main site updates are your marketing efforts, and the sales like what people actually buy. So that's like your lead generation, and then what people actually buy are the daily updates. In the instance of like thinking about it for an artist like Zoe Keating, you put a few big hits up on Spotify, lead generation, people find out about you and then you're like, ah, I want to find out some more about this person. And then you, like you're in the process of becoming a fan and you have a way of monetizing those people further. And it's it's thinking about them through that 
that marketing sales funnel as a conversion. And as, as you expect more money from people, you're going to get less of it. But like you need to be funneling them down that. I I completely agree. I think that and that's exactly how I think about it. I mean, the big articles are the lead generation. At the same time, like I want to reach people. I want to have influence. I want, I mean, just being totally honest. And so um, really big ideas, uh, you know, tend to do be the free, the free stuff. So, um, and because I want them to, to, to have an impact, um, you know, that's why peak Google, um, you know, was a free article and not a daily update. Um, other stuff, like for example, uh, people, a lot of people ask me, like I did the, I went to the Xiaomi event and I uh, did an interview with Hugo Berra that was, that I thought was really interesting. But they're like, why didn't you make that free? Like, this is one of the best, you know, this is a really good interview. I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn. But um, the reason I made a daily update was because I, my site, I'm not selling access to insiders. I'm not selling uh, the fact that I'm interviewing someone. Like, I'm selling my insights and my thoughts. And so that's what's out there for free. Um, I'm delighted to give something extra to my subscribers that they wouldn't get, they wouldn't get elsewhere. Um, and that's the way I thought about that was, you know, I, I didn't want to put out there something that's not representative of what strategy generally is, but at the same time, it was very valuable. So I was super happy and pleased to give that to subscribers. And then, and it was still, I mean, I used parts of the interview in a couple articles, so it was out there and used, but the whole like unedited, like here's the full transcript. Um, that's why I kept it behind the wall and, and thinking about the two audiences differently in, in, in that respect. So how did you come to the conclusion of, um, so it seems almost counterintuitive to me that the quote unquote best stuff, the big ideas are the ones you give away for free, because I think most people's natural inclination would be to, to be that, be the thing that you hold back and the thing that you charge for. Like was, what was your thinking process around I, I see, that? I, I hesitate to put that way because I don't want that to be true. Um, so the no, it, no it's okay. I, I don't mean to mischaracterize it. Well, first again. off, I do put some big stuff behind the wall. Like I think probably like I had a piece on IBM last year that I thought was really good and interesting, and it was a big news week, and I was really pleased to keep that behind the wall because like it, I think it was a very special treat for folks and getting like a, a deep a deep dive. But in general, what I write what I write is different between the two. the The ones on the site tend to be more theoretical. Um, Whereas the ones in the daily update are more like nuts and bolts. Like, okay, this, like, so last week I just spent a lot of time on earnings. And I think I had some very interesting insights and talking about the strategy of Apple and Facebook and Microsoft and Google and Amazon, all these companies, but they were framed in a, they were framed in the context of the earnings and what is happening now, if that makes sense. So, uh, whereas if when I write a post, it's more, it's meant to be more timeless. Whereas the daily update is more timely. I think that's the big distinction. So I, I, I would like to think I'm still delivering a lot of insights and interesting views on in the daily update. It's just the way it's delivered is slightly, is slightly different. If that makes sense. This has been really interesting and I, I suspect and I hope it's going to help people who are interested in doing something similar like hearing your thinking process about how you went through it, the challenges as you've gone through it and I, I think you've admitted a couple of mistakes along the way which is surprising how few to be honest. Well, like, that's because that, that's that's I'm that. the one telling the story. 
There, there's lots of problems. Like my site has a lot of technical problems, to be frank, which readers know, and that's why I'm going to make some investments into fixing that. Um, like there's there's prices by doing it yourself. There's problems that you encounter. Like I, I'm not a really a developer. I'm not that good at that stuff, and so some stuff sucks, and I I hate it. I I hate that there's aspects that are a bad experience. Um, at the same time, like you like limiting costs and is a first principle and like you have to prioritize and you have to be like we talked about this last week you can't do everything and even if it kills you and believe me the technical problems on my site kill me um and the forums really like it only really works on pcs it's horrible on mobile right someone pointed out how can you write an article called mobile first and your forum sucks on mobile it's like you're right like what can i say I, i i hate that it sucks on mobile and i'm working on something to fix it but like because of the business model I chose, like I have to live with that. I have to w- live with those consequences. And again, over time it will get better. I, I, I hope, um, I think, uh, but that, that is something I, I, I mean, I, I did put, I wrote down like kind of some takeaway lessons that I hope are useful. Um, and one of these is, is you have to think, you have to think in the long term. like you, you can't, you can't prioritize, short-term gain like for example i don't i don't think i push the daily update too much i at least i hope i don't some people still complain um but um i like usually i'll retreat like my biggest marketing is i retweet people who say positive stuff on twitter um and even then i don't retweet everything i i only retweet one a day uh um and i don't have like a big banner on the site i don't intersperse stuff in the main feed that's saying, oh, here's the daily update. Here's you should read it. I used to post once a week. I would post like one excerpt, like, oh, here's something I wrote this week. You should sign up. I, I've actually stopped doing that now as well. Um, and it's mo- why? Uh, I didn't like one. I didn't like taking away value from people who paid. Like I felt bad giving away something that they paid for. Um, two, uh, they never really got much traction, at least on Twitter. Like they weren't mm. shared or anything. And I think part of it was because it was so blatantly like a a marketing post, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to. They feel hasn't sharing that. And I did. I, I just. I didn't like doing it. And 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 the site was at that point. The site was that was really when the site growth started to accelerate. And so if I didn't need to do it, I would. I would rather not. I'd rather. I would rather just write good stuff and have try to let people know about it. I have it on the sidebar. It's not really one thing I do want to change is if you come to my site on mobile it's almost impossible to know that there's a daily update product. Um, so that's something that I need. I should probably change. Um, but uh, it's there and that people will kind of be, they'll, they'll, they'll give in, but they'll give in, in a, not in a like fine, stop bugging me sort of way, but in a man, like I, my ideal customer, like comes to my site. He's interested. He comes to my site again. He's like, wow, I've been to the site twice in two weeks. And like, let me, let me follow it or I follow on Twitter or whatever. And then gets more like, wow, that's three really good articles in a row. And then like they see on the side, oh, here's the interesting thing about, about Apple. And they click on it. Oh, this is a daily update. Oh, it's something available. It's like, oh, int- oh, oh, wow. $10. I'm not gonna pay $10. Um, but then it happens and they start seeing something. They see a retweet, someone endorsing it. Oh, the best thing I paid for or whatever, blah, 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 which is awesome. I, I so appreciate when people do that. Um, and then like, and over time, and maybe it takes two or three months or four months or five months or six months, finally they're like, something comes up, man, I really want to, oh, Apple's earnings. What did Ben say? Ah, 
okay, fine. I'll try it out for a month. And then they sign up for, mm-hmm. and they put it, it's only $10. And then they sign up and then, and then they're there. And, and then I have, and then I figure I have, I have 20 opportunities to convince them to stay. And every, and then they get that habit. And what I try to deliver it at the same time every day. Like, and so every time they wake up, it's there. Cause I want to, I want it to be a habit, right? People, a lot of people tell me they wake up and first thing they read, like, or they read over coffee or they read it on the subway. And I, so I want it to be there. And so they, and they get into the habit and then it comes up and then yes, it's out of renewal. And they, that email comes, Oh, you've been charged $10. Like, Oh, Oh, cool. No worries. And it like, and it becomes something that of course I pay for this. And if you, if you get super aggressive and you're pushing it and you're pushing it, like you, you might get more in the short run, but you're going to get a lot of people that are upset and you have to deal with refunds. You're going to have to deal with like, you know, all that sort of stuff. And that's why I don't do trials. For example, maybe I will someday, but for now I like the idea of someone just wanting it, wanting more so much that fine. I will, it's, I'll pay $10 to give it a try. And like now they're invested. Like it's, and this is something I talk about with Zoe Keating and, and Taylor Swift. Like, and this is, this is what Ezra Klein misses. Like Vox doesn't ask anything of its readers. Like it at most asks them to put up with, put up with poop posts. Right. But like, there's something so powerful about paying money because yeah, making a commitment. Yeah. Now it's a two way relationship, right? They, and it's, it's, it's powerful for me too. I feel, I feel heavily incentivized to do a good job and to give them value from their money. And they feel incentivized to read it. I have like, 70, I have like a 75% or 78% open rate on my emails. The industry average for tech is like 22%. Like, why is that? It's because people are paying for it, right? They're, they're going to, like, if they spent good money, they're going to want to make sure they get their money's worth, which means they read it. And if they read it, then they'll hopefully like it. And if they like it, then they'll make sure to read it the next day. And once they keep doing that, then they'll tell their friends about it. And, and that's, that's the cycle you have to think about. And so not getting people in a month, not giving people in three months, but like, how are you going to get people in six months and how are you going to get them to tell their friends? Like that's my marketing is people telling their friends, people telling people they should sign up and, and just and trusting that will work out. This has been interesting. We've like gone, <laughs> we've talked about the rainforest, the trees up the top, the, 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 the canopy down the bottom as well. It's, it's kind of been fun to almost do a, uh, 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 I wouldn't necessarily say history lesson, but like, uh, like diving, diving into like understanding how to actually successfully grow one of these, these little organisms down the bottom of the rainforest floor. And it's, it's really cool to see this doing as well as it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to count my chickens. I mean, I haven't got to my one year renewals yet, so that's something to keep in mind, but, um, we've got a little long to say the least. Uh, it is a little long. There may need to be a little bit of editing involved, but it has been really interesting. So thank you. Yes. Uh, well, uh, and w- we shall never talk of this again. I'll just point people to this episode. <laughs> That's it. The one time going through one of the plants on the gr- rainforest floor or going through Ben's plant on the rainforest. Yeah. Floor. And I mean, to be honest, like it, it sounds good because I'm looking backwards and you just see all the all the good stuff, but I made the real is I made many more mistakes. I will continue to make mistakes. Um, maybe doing this podcast was a mistake. Who knows? Um, but, uh, like I, I really believe in this. Like, I really believe that there are opportunities that are, that weren't there before that the internet has enabled new opportunities 
at the bottom of the rainforest floor. It's not just the domain of big companies. And, and that's why I'm doing this podcast, even though I feel sheepish about doing it. That's why I'm, I talk about number of subscribers. So I wrote this article and um, for people who don't care and aren't interested, I appreciate your patience. Um, and for people who are um, one, like go for it. And two, if you've been, if you've been successful, if you're, if you're building an internet business in this way, like I'd love to hear from you because I think we need more, we need more stories about how this is possible. Very good. Awesome. Cool. Uh, Well, I guess I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one.